the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's the new life in Christ. That is our focus this week on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Join us and be encouraged in your walk with Christ, understanding the new life He's given you. That's next. You and I have been given everything pertaining to life and godliness. Now, that includes the new life in Christ that you and I have. And that is where all of our life and godliness can be found. So what does a new life in Christ look like? How does it act? How does it live out our life in Christ as a new life in Christ? Well, I'm glad you asked. We have answers to these questions as we continue our look at Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 through 15. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. If the command in Genesis 17 regarding the bearing of the sign of the covenant and giving your sons the sign of the covenant from eight days on was permanent, why was the sign changed from circumcision to baptism? If the command was permanent, that throughout all history the heads of family and their sons should bear the sign of the covenant, why was the sign changed? Well, that the sign was permanent is really quite obvious. When God commanded the believer to bear the sign of the covenant and to give his sons and dependent males the sign of the covenant, it was the law of God. I mean, this wasn't a suggestion. Jehovah didn't come to Abraham and say, Abraham, I've got a suggestion for you, if you'd like to do it. It will be a little inconvenient if you do want to do this, but I am making this suggestion to you. No. God said, Abraham, I want you to give your testimony to the world that you and your family belong to me. And through that, I myself will give my testimony to the world that you belong to me. I want you and your children to bear the sign of the covenant. Now, when God gives a law, how long are we to assume that law is in effect? Until we get tired of it? No. We are to assume that that law is in effect until God says, okay, you don't have to do this any longer. Did God say, remember that law I gave you about the sign of the covenant? Forget it. It's over. That was just for a specific purpose. You don't have to give your children the sign of the covenant any longer. And you don't have to bear the sign yourself. Beloved, there is no such nullification. 
There is nothing in the Bible anywhere that in any way even implies that the law to give yourself and your children the sign of the covenant is repealed. So heads of family are just as responsible before God today as Abraham was, not only to bear the sign of the covenant themselves, but to make sure, make sure their dependents bear that sign as well. The command has never been repealed. And I ask you, heads of households, are you obeying that command? Even though the sign of the covenant has changed, the command is still the same. It is just no longer circumcision. It is baptism. Now, why was, that, why was this changed? It was necessary because of the new covenant, because of the consummation of the old covenant in the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. The new covenant brought several changes to the way God's covenant is to be administered to his people. What were some of those changes? Well, the new covenant expanded the blessings to a greater degree. There was a greater outpouring, for example, of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant expands the blessings of the covenant to more people, not just to the Jewish people, but to Gentiles and to women. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is neither Greek nor Jew, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all in Christ Jesus. Now, he's not talking about the responsibilities of leadership or governance. He is talking about the blessings and privileges of salvation in this text. And he says, those old distinctions that were characterized in the Old Testament, they're gone. Now the New Testament doesn't make any distinction between the believing Jew and the non-Jew. It doesn't make any distinction between believing slave and believing free men. And it doesn't make any distinction between believing male and believing female. They are all equal, have equal rights to the privileges of the covenant. In the Old Testament, only males were circumcised. Only mature males took the Passover. In the New Testament, the new covenant is an expansion of greater blessings to more people. And now both men and women, young and old, are baptized. And both men and women, boys and girls, are admitted to take the Lord's Supper in the New Testament, because the New Covenant is not a restriction of the Old Testament believers. It is a, an expansion to more people. And these are not minor changes. They called for new signs that would draw attention to the greater glory of the New Covenant. The covenants of the Old Testament were great and glorious, but they are of no comparison to the new covenant. And to be honest, I wouldn't want to have to have lived under the Old Testament after having lived under the new covenant. Greater blessings, more glory, greater participation are pouring out of the Holy Spirit. Participation in the privileges of more people. Those old distinction of male and female, Jew and Gentile, that were once so important in the Old Testament are cast aside. So the New Testament draws attention to that. 
so that instead of circumcision, it is now a sign that can be administered to men and women alike. But some of the changes in the new covenant were also to highlight the complete work of Christ. Both of the sacraments in the Old Testament required the shedding of blood. Circumcision required the shedding of blood. The Passover required the shedding of blood and the killing of the Paschal Lamb. But because of Christ's death that was once for all, obtaining of eternal redemption for all of those for whom he died when he died, the changes in the sacraments were given to highlight that fact. So there are no more bloody rites in the Christian church. No more. So circumcision was changed to baptism and the Passover was changed to the Lord's Supper. But we're Protestants. We're not Roman Catholics. We're not superstitious. So we don't believe these signs and seals of baptism and the Lord's Supper have any spiritual effect on us just by virtue of the fact that we participate in them. We read this phrase a while ago. Notice the last part of verse 12. That all things take effect, all these things take effect through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The visible sign and seals are only for those who are true believers in the God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And it is only through that faith that believers experience the reality of new life in Christ. Romans 6, 4 says, As Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may walk in the newness of life. Because why? Because we are in Christ. Romans 6, 8 says, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live together with Him. And the application here is that baptism is a sign and a seal of regeneration only to those who have been regenerated by faith in Christ. The sacraments don't do you any good without faith in Christ. They don't bring you regeneration. They presuppose it because it is through faith in God who raised Jesus Christ from the dead that these great spiritual realities symbolized in the sacraments become yours. And even your faith is a gift from God. Now you might ask, well, what about little babies? Doesn't that exclude little babies? Now, how can little babies have faith? Why do we baptize little babies if the signs and the seals aren't effective in a person without faith? Now, again, be careful. Any, circum any criticism of infant baptism is a criticism of infant circumcision. The blessing of circumcision was received by faith also. So why circumcise an eight-day-old eight baby since you have to have faith? Again, be careful. It's God who thought that up. You say, I just don't see how little babies can believe in Jesus. Well, beloved, welcome to the club. I don't see how little babies can believe in Jesus either. But that is different 
point than do babies believe in Jesus. Of course, not all babies, but do elect babies believe in Jesus in infancy? I don't see how they can, but let's see if they do. Psalm 22. David gives a testimony about his own infancy, and he said, I hoped in God on my mother's breast. Now, the Hebrew word for hope is the word for faith. You can't believe until you have been regenerated, until your heart has been transformed. Then you have faith, and not until then. But David said, I hoped in God. I had faith. I was a believer as a newborn nursing from my mother's breast. You say, how can that be? I don't know. But the Holy Spirit inspired David to say those words. And he did. But he went farther. He said, and thou was my God in my mother's womb. Now in the book of Psalms, when someone calls God my God, that presupposes union and communion and fellowship with God. And you can't have union and communion and fellowship with God without faith and a changed heart. So David was saying, I enjoyed union and communion and fellowship with God in my mother's womb. Before I was born, I believed. Do you remember what David said about his first child? God took David and Bathsheba's baby child when he was seven days old, which means, of course, he wasn't circumcised yet. And I think the reason the baby died when he was only seven days old and not eight was to impress us with the fact that you don't have to be baptized with water to be saved just like you didn't have to be baptized physically in the Old Testament to be saved. David was grieving while the baby was dying. Do you remember? And the Bible says everyone was afraid to tell him when the baby died because he was grieving so much while the baby was just simply sick. But when he was told the baby had died, he showered and he shaved and then he went downstairs in his normal attire. And no one could figure out why he was so comforted after this news. But there was a thought he had that comforted him. David said, and I'm paraphrasing, My baby can't come to me, but one day I will be with him. Now you have superficial readers of the Bible who say, all David is saying here is, just as my baby died, I'm going to die. Wow, that's really covering it, isn't it? I mean, he really comforted himself with that, and he took a shower and shaved because he knew, like his little baby, he was going to die as well and, and someday see that baby? No, that's not the point. 
He said, my baby can't come to me. I'm going to come to him and we'll be united. I'm going to see my little baby fully grown up in Christ someday. And guess what, beloved? You've got to be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you're not going to be born again after you die. Which means that sometime before that baby's death, God regenerated his heart and gave him the gift of faith. And I'm assured that David has been reunited with his child. You remember John the Baptist? When Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, Mary, her cousin who was pregnant with Jesus, said to Elizabeth that she was pregnant with the Savior of the world. And John the Baptist in his mother's womb leaped for joy, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Simple. John the Baptist was a human being in his mother's womb. You see that? How does a baby leap for joy in its mother's womb if it is not a human being? Pieces of tissue are not filled with the Holy Ghost. John the Baptist was a full human being in his mother's womb. That's a great verse to use to prove when human life begins, my friends. You also can't be filled with the Holy Ghost without regeneration, right? So you have this testimony throughout Scripture. One of my favorite stories of Jesus is when mothers were bringing all of their little children to him. These were believing mothers, and they were bringing their little children to be blessed by Jesus, not just because they wanted to meet this man. And there were two kinds of children, the Bible says, that were brought to him. Some were toddlers, and there is a Greek word for toddlers here in this text. And some were newborns, and there is a Greek word for newborns, both of which are in this text. These toddlers would, were one, two, three years old, and they were able to walk up to Jesus. And then there were newborns who had to be carried up to Jesus by their mothers. So Jesus was holding one of these newborns, not a toddler, and he says, It is better for a millstone to be put around a man's neck who causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. I wasn't interpreting that verse, my friends. I was simply quoting it. Jesus said, It is better for a millstone to be hung around a man's neck and be cast into the sea if he causes, him, if he causes to stumble one of these newborns who believe in me. How can they believe? I don't know that they do. I'll have to take it the way Jesus took it. And the point I'm trying to make is whether it is a newborn baby or a mature adult, neither one of the sacraments are any benefit to you at all unless you bring to the sacrament faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is only received by faith alone. And there's nothing automatic that happens in these sacraments. Not, now, not only are we complete in Christ because of the radical transformation of life and regeneration, but also verses 13 and 14 say this, 
And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, and here he is using sacramental language again. He's talking to the Gentiles, the people at Colossae. And then he says, and when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. Now notice what he is doing here. He is reminding the Gentile believers in the church of what they were before they were believers. Before God changed your heart, before you received this spiritual circumcision made without hands through him who raised you from the dead, because of your union with Christ in his death and burial signified by baptism, before all of that, you were dead spiritually, separated from God, incapable of doing anything about your position, totally depraved, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You weren't Jewish, you were Gentiles. In other words, the big deal was not that you were uncircumcised, but you didn't have the spiritual realities that uncircumcision symbolized. Paul expands this thought in Ephesians 2. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at that time, you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, knowing no hope and without God in the world. It was while you were in that condition that God raised you up from the dead spiritually and made you new creatures. You are saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. And when he saved you, he gave you complete forgiveness of sins. Now here's another thing it means to be complete in Christ. When you were dead in your transgressions, you didn't deserve anything. When you were experiencing that life, a lack of circumcision symbolizes God made you alive. God raised you from the dead. God regenerated you. God gave you spiritual circumcision and he forgave you of all of your transgressions. Notice the word all. He forgave you all of your transgressions. He completely forgave you. It doesn't matter how dark, how wicked, how perverted those sins were. God forgave you of them in Christ, and he will never hold them against you again. No matter how many people you hurt when you sinned, no matter what you did to yourself, no matter how evil that sin was, if God made you alive in Christ by grace, he wiped it all away. And he will never, never hold those sins against you ever again. Praise God. Isn't that great, beloved? All your sins, even in the future, past, present, future, are forgiven. Here is the basis for forgiveness of every sin in your life from conception to the grave. Complete forgiveness. And this forgiveness is ours only because of the truth of verse 14. And here is the heart of the gospel. 
having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of decrees against us and which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Here is some very powerful imagery. This is the reason our sins are forgiven. This is the reason why we have salvation in Christ. What he is saying here is, this is the heart of the gospel. And here is why all of these rich blessings are ours, which is because of the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us was canceled out. Well, that's all the time we have. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner, the ministry of Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. It is our goal and desire that you would abound in grace through the preaching and teaching of God's Word. And that is why we come to you on a daily basis. Now, as we close out our time together, we also realize that some of these messages that are presented here on Abounding Grace are well worth reviewing again at your convenience. Maybe you joined us a bit late. Well, we have copies on CD. They're just $5. Mention today's date as you call or write to us. Here's how to get in touch with us. The phone number is 408-866-5607. That's 408 408- Eight six six five six zero seven. You're welcome to also visit our website, learn a bit more about us. We're at reformedheritage.org. Again, reformedheritage.org. And then, of course, if you would love to partner with us, if you're feeling led of the Lord to become a financial partner with us as we continue this ministry here on this station, please write to us at PMB number 402. And the address is 1484 Pollard Road, Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Or, again, simply call us, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. You're also welcome to join us for worship. Sunday services here at Reformed Heritage Church are at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. We meet at the Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon. Directions can be found at reformedheritage.org or by, again, calling 408-866-5607. We thank you for joining us, and trust we'll see you again next time we get together for another broadcast of Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Mm-hmm.